0: Kostanski chocolate chip cookie Sunday, and so if you didn't get one of the most amazing chocolate chip cookies that you will ever have in your whole life, I don't know if there are any left. But I had to sample a couple of them before everyone got here this morning, just because I wanted to make sure they were still good. But they were, they were really good. So anyway, um, that's just Donna's going to be up here talk with Matt a little bit later. But it's just uh, it's great to have her chocolate chip cookies. But we're glad you're here, whether it's your first time, whether you're a regular here at Exodus. If this is your very first time, not only do we want to say thanks, but we want to do it in a way and show you just a small token of our appreciation. And at the end of the service, if you'd fill out this bottom portion of the purple sheet that was on your seat and meet me over at the welcome counter on your way out we have a small gift that we just want to put in your hands just a little cup that has our logo on it it has a a gift card in it to scotty's restaurant so you can go use it for lunch or take a date out or or whatever just a way that we want to say thanks but i'd love to meet with you so you can meet me after the service for that couple things that are going on uh with this tear off if if you want to put a prayer request or something that you're interested in getting connected at exodus later on the service we'll have these green buckets they'll be passed and you can place it in there the highlight that i want to bring to your attention that's on the purple sheet is that in two weeks we're going to be celebrating baptisms here so i've been praying for All of you in here, that if if you've never been baptized and uh, you've never taken that step of faith, you've never taken your faith public in in a way, I I pray that maybe God would lay it upon your heart. The Holy Spirit would move to say maybe this is the time. And we're going to have a baptistry set up, actually a hot tub. Uh, that's going to be set over here in the corner. One of my favorite times of the year when we do it in the spring and we do it in the fall. So if you're interested in participating, please let me know. You can either find me after service or if you fill out the back portion, there's a little check mark that says um, I would like to talk to someone about baptism. And even if you just want to talk and you're not sure you even want to do it, that's fine. You can find me or Matt. We'd love just to talk with you. No pressure. But if you just have questions like what does it mean? Why should I do this? Or, Or have questions, we'd love to to help with you in that. And every week we have a time um, where we throw out a question and uh, w- we do that so that you'll get in groups and just get to know each other. So the, the, the question is not the goal, the goal is just so you'll interact with some people around you. So since it was time change Sunday, our question uh, this morning is what did you do with the extra hour yesterday, All right. And if you're like me, you had to think, did I have an extra hour yesterday? If so, what did I do with it? Uh, And in our family, we, uh, mostly my wife, but we had a a sick child last night in the middle of the night. So I think my wife's extra hour got eaten up in the middle of the night uh, dealing with that. But... um, I don't know about you, I'm the guy who at 9 o'clock on Saturday night of Time Change Sunday, I go throughout the house and through all the cars, and I change all the clocks, like all at one time. My wife thinks that's a really weird thing to do, but I have to just know that when I get up and get in my car, that it's the right time, and so I go through and systematically walk around and change the clocks, change everything, so it's all good to go for the next day. So I don't know if you're that way either, but get in groups... Uh, four five six today and just tell people what you did with your extra hour that you had yesterday that you will be losing in the spring all right (laughs) not to be negative but I'm just saying that you will be losing it so all right so get in the groups and do that and Matt will come up here in just a few moments
1: Take about two more minutes on that, two more minutes or so. All right, if you would, go ahead and start turning your chairs back this direction, and we'll. Uh... Okay. Um... Some of you may have wondered, if you're in regular to Exodus, uh, why in the world there was cake and uh, the amazing chocolate chip cookies back there, but uh, you're going to see in a minute Donna Kostansky, she'll come up here in a minute. If you remember, if you, you may not even been here last year, but there was a point where Donna had had a real clear sense from God. She was supposed to help raise $25,000 for a school bus for kids in a mission uh, in Nigeria. And uh, the money was all raised, um, so it's going to be, a, and that's kind of in thanks and celebration of that. But we're going to see a couple really short videos. One is uh, bo- all from uh, the kids in Nigeria, and this is the bus, I think it was, what, was it 25,000 Donna total? That uh, Donna was like mad, mad, mad fundraising Donna. She should be hired by companies now to raise money because she got it all and with passion. So let's watch. This is the thanks from the kids in Nigeria, back-to-back missions, back-to-back ministries, and this is the kids in Nigeria saying thanks.
2: All right, we are loaded. We got everybody on. 28, 27 passengers. Okay, there's Thomas the driver, there's all the kids on the bus. Say hi. Hi. Say thank you. Thank you. All right. How's it look back here? Oh my word, look at this. How many people can you put in into a 19-passenger bus? Good, Thomas, I'll see you there. Here's Sunday waving goodbye. Wave goodbye, Sunday. My name is to Tlai.
0: I'm, I'm happy that you got for us, and you was buried now, and you got a bus. We must wait for my ancestors um, to come, and um, we must die. We are going to jump back in one place. Uh, now we have a new bus, I want to say thank you to you and um, we enjoyed going to school in the new bus. Not rain is not beating us, sun is not beating us, nothing
2: is going to happen with us now. I want to thank you. Thank you.
0: My name is Timo Peter and uh, I'm from Kinder Kids. I want to say thank you for how you gave us uh, boss. How you how you work and you gave us the money to buy the bus and since before we, we did not have the bus we were we were just entering in one small bus but now that you have helped us with a big bus we want to say thank you and may we'll God continue to strengthen you and with you. Ha ha ha
2: name is Katron Before we don't have a bus but okay. now you help us, and you work, and you give us money, and we buy a bus. Now we are not jumping like before, and we have to wait. Now that we have a bus, we, we are so happy, and may God bless you and God will bless you. Thank you for the bus.
0: My name is was when, when we do not have a bus, it's difficult to go to school. And now we have, we have a bus. Now we are very happy and we love it. This is the bus and thank you for the bus. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
1: Well, this is Emmanuel. Let's hear what Emmanuel is saying. uh uh-huh. Go ahead, Emmanuel.
0: My name is Emmanuel. Well, we didn't have a boat. It was difficult for us to go to school. But now that we have a boat, we are happy. Thank you. <laughs> give my water. I'll okay,
2: before we did not have boss to go to school. But now we have a voice. This one to go to school. So
0: we the bus.
2: You like it? Yes.
0: Great. Thank you. How
1: Now that hand was for her chocolate chip cookies, and we'll thank her later for the bus. So anyway, uh, we could have raised all the money just by selling the cookies, too. But anyway, Donna, why don't you just uh, okay. tell us what you want to tell us. Okay,
2: okay. First, I just want to show you a, a card that someone gave me as this process began. It was from Marcus Dickinson's mom. She had no idea what was coming, and, um, but this was what the children did. The children prayed big. I'm not sure I would have prayed as big as they did. And then God did something when Exodus and many people in Bloomington found out about the need for the children in Nigeria. First, what I wanna say is today, I want us to thank God together. Some of you have been very involved in this process. Some of you already knew the happy news of God's provision and now we all know. And it's together, I wanna thank him with you. And all of, many of you know, and those of you who are new today may not have known, last spring we learned of this need through our orphan care ministry called Back to Back that came to Bloomington and made a presentation. When some of us heard about the need that the, chil- the children were praying for a bus, I innocently raised my hand thinking, what could it cost? Maybe 10000 Certainly, we could maybe trust God for that. And he said 25000 which my heart sank. I am not a fundraiser, <laughs> but at that moment, I talked with a couple of people that were at that meeting. Um, we were all at, at, here at Exodus. And... Um, we came up with this idea. What if we got found 25 people at $1,000 each? Like this little idea was just birthed. And that very night, one of the people at the meeting, when we shared that idea said, put me down for 1,000. I'm like, oh my gosh, this really is God. So the idea began. And what actually happened is when Matt and the elder team heard um, about this opportunity, they let us share it. And something happened here. It took a life of its own led by the Holy Spirit. And I just want you to see what God did. First was Matt and the elders, and I'd like them to stand. They they made a commitment of $500, thinking the church would match it, and we would be one of those 25 people. The church did more and match it. So if Matt and elders would please stand. Then uh, these are in no order in particular. Then there was a young marrieds group here, led by Lyric and Davey. If they would stand in their young marrieds group, and they desire to be one of those teams and they got in touch with buffaloes and then there was many of you who came to buffaloes to help with the donations there so if you attended buffaloes please stand <laughs> up i'm standing that was my very first time there by the way <laughs> then there were people like dawn wisher and her mother sharon new and i'd like them to stand and they gave well they more than gave they gave and gave and gave and then they shared it with other people and some of you joined their team to be one of those thousand dollar teams if you're part of the wisher new team please stand up <laughs> Then there's, oh, my gosh, Margaret and George, two of my very favorite people here. And let me tell you, they did many things. They were part of that team that brainstormed with me. But they were the people that kept me praying, remembering who was really going to do this. And there was a piece through this experience that can only be explained because of prayer. And I thank George for that from the bottom of my heart. Marcus and Stephanie Dickinson, if you were part of their team, their family got really involved. And his mom had a garage sale. And those ladies down in Illinois raised $1,000 for the bus. There's my husband, Paul, and our family. And if your family in any way became a part of this team, please stand. Because that's what happened. Families started sharing. Other families started uniting together. So if Judy Downey and all her women would please stand. Different groups just united together, and they pulled it together and made a team then there 's the crew students. If any of you are involved with crew, please stand up and they have something called a summer give and while they 're gone over, the summer money comes in all summer, and we got a check for thousand dollars in August because of the crew students and I thank you for them. From small to large, and I mean the gifts were small to large, and there are some of you who made very big pledges individually. I don't know how you did it. I know it is your humble faith, and I just thank you for your sacrificial giving. You do not, I'm not going to name names at that, but please, anybody who gave at this point, please stand, small or large, from $10 to $25,000, $2,500, the gifts came in, and a buster's raised. Those of you who want to thank God together with us, please stand. All of you stand because this is about thanking him because I'm going to tell you something. You may not have been a part of the actual financial giving. You may not even known about it till today. But I want you to know something that God did because of what you saw stand before you. We asked God for $25,000, a very overwhelming amount. And I know all of you know that in this world of immense need, how do you determine which need? I don't know. I only know that we, for some reason, were stirred by the prayers of children in Nigeria, and God chose us to be the answer to their prayers. And I don't know why it was us. I'm just grateful for the privilege. So we asked God for $25,000. I don't know what that does to you. Totally wipes me out. But something happened. The pledges kept coming in, and I would go to the mailbox, and the mail would come, or I'd get phone calls, or people would talk to me, or they'd let people know different churches, different groups, blah, 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 all these wonderful stories. It just took a life of its own. Some people did the Facebook thing, Sadie and Aaron. I do not they're, they're just unbelievable. Uh, they're Facebook friends. It's unbelievable what God ignited through them, but... August, at this point now, I mean, I'm really wanting this to be done. We had we made this commitment from April to June 1st, we would trust God, and the pledges were in. But like all pledges, like the crew kids were gone over the summer, it took till August for it all actually came. And the day came, $24,980. I'm like, I just want this done. The last $20 is in. We sent off the last check. Two days later, a $20 check came. If I trusted God two more days. <laughs> Two more days. And I am not kidding you. That means $25,020 went to -to back-to-back for this bus. To the penny, if I trusted him two more days, God raised $25,000. So the other thing I want you to think about as you see this, we're talking about money right now, but whether it's money or wisdom or just direction, these are the ways God works. He works through his people and through his word. So I just want you to know whether it be money or whatever, we want to trust God together for so many more things together. And um, sometime soon, I'm gonna get to share about a local need of children in need here in Bloomington that we'll talk about another time. But thank you for trusting God with me. So if together, um, Dean, actually, would you come and just thank God um, yeah. for what
0: he's done with the body? Hey, Father. I. Thank you God for all the people that are here standing for every person that gave for every person that told another person about it uh, we um, are just grateful we're grateful for your faithfulness and how you worked and we're grateful for Donna who um, you gave a passion to and father she heard you speak to her and then she just simply obeyed and said, "I don't know what this means but I'm willing to to try it and then uh, through multiplication you brought it uh, forth and we pray that the for the kids that are in nigeria we pray that they just get lots of blessings out of this bus and just make it last make it be a huge blessing and just a testimony to them that um, god cares about them and there are people in the united states that care about them and that we just want them to be able to have an education and be able to get to school and be a blessing to them and we just thank you for being a god who does things that seem impossible to us but uh, things that you specialize in doing. And this is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen.
2: Just share two more stories. I just want to say, do you guys remember when Matt did the $10, asking no. God how we should use it? One of those $10 came in for the bus. I want whoever you are, I'm sorry I don't know who you are, <laughs> to know even to the $10, God raised $25,000. But there is just one other story I want to share. The beginning of our story and the end of our story begins with Gretchen Catron. If she would please stand. Gretchen had the privilege to serve with back-to-back in Nigeria this summer. If you've had any specific stories, if you have a burden for orphan care, please speak with her after the service. But that night at the meeting when the idea was birthed, it is the two men in Gretchen's life that began and ended this story. Her father was the one that said, put me down for the first thousand. And it was her fiancé who called me in the summer wanted to know the final sum so that we could reach that final goal. Mm. And he is the one who finished the job. So to Tyler, Gretchen, and her father, I thank you for how God used you in this amazing story.
1: Thank you, thank you. Uh, And then I, uh, Donna, Donna, I get a fifty-dollar gift card to Donna for being the catalyst for all of this. Panera Bread, Panera Bread. So uh, one of the things, one of the things we say, this is what we say our vision for Excellence is: when we get a catalyst for turning ordinary people into abnormally loving, joyful, and courageous followers of Jesus sometimes what we need is to be catalysts and that's what donna did i mean this wouldn't have happened don i I know donna's passing all the thanks around but it wouldn't have happened if donna didn't take on the role of a catalyst so if donna gets an idea just get out of her way and let it happen okay i'm sure paul learned that long ago so (laughs) so anyway hey uh um let me pray and then uh uh, we'll go into the sermon today god uh, we're grateful that you work and that uh, that in some ways, like Donna said, when these children in Nigeria pray that somehow through that means of the invisible world, this passion gets planted in Donna's heart and then she uses what you've given her in terms of gifts and abilities and through that, this invisible world reality gets planted in other people's hearts and money starts coming in. And so, God, we do believe in the invisible world And even as we look in your word this morning, we pray that you would um, help us to hear and see whatever your spirit wants us to hear and see this morning from your word. And we ask this all in Christ's name, amen. Hey, Tim, go straight to the one that has the humility meter on it here. Okay, if I had some way to wire up each one of you to this humility meter, if we had some way to put it in your chairs or whatever, um. How do you think you'd score in terms of humility? And I'm going to start off by saying about a week and a half ago, I had a situation where the meter went far to the left when it was measuring my own heart, and let me tell you why. And it was just kind of one of these real uh, somewhat funny but painful stories. There's a a pastor I know in Bloomington, and I don't think any of you would know him. He's a pastor of a small... uh, situation, he was asked to do something, a certain task, a certain thing that I would have liked to have done, and I told my wife a few months ago I was more qualified than him, okay, because I have a certain level of education, I have a seminary education, I have some graduate education, and I felt like I was more qualified than him because I, from what I knew of him, he simply had this much education and I had this much, and I was a little indignant um, because he wasn't qualified as much as I was. And that was simply by my own, intera- my just stereotyping him. I had breakfast with this guy last week. And as we're talking, he proceeds to tell me, I, I, he was talking about he was writing a book. And I said, what are you writing? Well, I'm writing it in Latin. I was like, oh, you're writing the book in Latin. <laughs> well, and in Greek, too. Oh, you're writing in Greek, too. How'd you learn those languages? Oh, I have a PhD from IU in classics. Oh. And I have a master's degree in New Testament from Pepperdine. Oh. (laughs) And I'm sitting in the booth at Uptown Cafe, and I start to shrink in the booth, and I'm thinking, okay, God, this is really, really funny. (laughs) But it was funny, but it was also sad for me because I thought, why in the world did I think I was better than him? Simply based on stereotypical perceptions of what kind of church he pastored and my perception of his personality. And it was one of those situations where the humility meter, from God's point of view, because God's the one that measures that, not us, I'm sure went way on the low end. And I think if you're like me, it's painful but good to have reminders at times about really where our hearts are as opposed to where we think they are. So it's one of those stories that I think God will always use in my life to remind me, hey, humility is more important than what you think it is, and you're maybe not as humble as you think, so I'm not saying that to you as well, not not to be degrading on all of us, but to some degree, humility is one of those weird kind of things we don't know how to get. I I remember a friend of mine in college used to talk about how do you get more humble, but the more you talk about it, you feel more humble, then you don't feel humble because you feel humble. (laughs) You know, it's kind of one of these things that kind of drives you crazy. So today we're going to talk about humility. We've been doing a series in the last number of weeks on the book of uh, Philippians, and I've been calling it uh, living a life of abnormal joy because Paul, if you remember the whole context, Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter to the church in Philippi. He's writing and he uses the word joy and talks about being joyful numerous times. And so the whole letter really is a challenge to people, challenge us about how do you live abnormally joyful lives. So the real, real question when you study any book of the Bible is how do you take the context, go to the next slide, how do you take the context of what was said then You know, A.D. 62 to the Christians, ordinary men and women and boys and girls in the small city of Philippi, how does that translate to us today? How does Philippi translate to Kirkwood? So that's always the challenge we're trying to think through. So I'm going to do this sermon a little bit backwards. I usually read the passage to start with. I'm going to read the passage at the end, and I'm going to give the application at the very beginning, all right? So I'm going to flip it around. Here's the application. Here's the challenge. All right, next slide. Be humble really easy isn't it that's what i'm telling you just be humble we can say amen and go home be more humble work at it but it's not that easy and let's first kind of define it a little bit all right so we we'll ask a couple questions we'll ask the what question uh the why question and the how question our first the what question what is humility i mean it seems to be something that's valued in a biblical sense the word for humility means to lower yourself To make yourself low, you know, talks about scripture stories, talk about, in such and such humbled himself, and he humbled himself. And the the sense is you put yourself low, not lower like low self-esteem, but you put yourself low in relation to God so you know your right place. So in a biblical sense, that's what it means. Interestingly enough, this is a humility is something that psychologists and researchers are researching more and more today and trying to figure out, what is humility these these are like you know state university kind of psychologists and here's what they found about humility humility they defined this way there's three traits of people somebody that has humility first of all is you have an accurate view of yourself you have an accurate view of your limitations and your abilities so first step of humility is you have an accurate self-assessment kind of a 2020 assessment of yourself second aspect of humility they found in their research is that you're very other-oriented. So you have an accurate view of yourself. You're very other-oriented. And the third component is you have the ability to regulate your instinct to self-promotionalize, to put yourself out there. So they found that these traits in people, which kind of corresponds with this sense of lowering yourself, it's somebody who knows themselves well, knows their limitations. I mean, you, you all have friends that you've probably talked about, and you think, I don't think they really know that they come across that way, right? What you're really saying is there's a lack of humility. They have, a, they have this perception of themselves when really everybody else sees this. So humility is an accurate self-perception, an other-centered orientation, and the ability to kind of turn off the self-promotion button inside of you. Other things that modern psychology has found is that humility is most accurately judged when it's under stress. It's kind of like courage. You don't really know how courageous you are until you're in danger. So you can think about a whole, and and the the stress that causes us to assess humility would be like the stress of conflict, uh, the stress of certain kind of challenges, interpersonal stresses. That's That's when the humility meter reads most accurately is when you're under some kind of stress. And, of course, they found this too, this humility is much easier to observe in others than in yourself. Because we tend to think, well, of course I'm hum- humble. Nobody's going to say, I'm, I'm proud, I'm arrogant. So that's the what question. It's this, it's this lowering of yourself, you know, your, your soul's in the right place before God that seems to be evidenced in an accurate self-assessment, a very other-centered orientation, and a non-boastful kind of personality. You don't promote, not, not that you don't have a, not, not that you don't have confidence, not that you're not assertive, but you just don't look for situations to boast, and you can turn down the self-promotion meter, all right? Now, let's ask the why question. Why be humble? Is there, is there a benefit from being humble? Because if there's not a benefit, why do it? Modern research has found this. High levels of humility, as, it's, as, as we just talked about, is, correlates highly with mental health, Physical health, generosity, helpfulness, patience, gratitude, get this, high levels of humility correlate with academic performance. High levels of humility correlate with job performance, Somebody in, uh, in intellectual openness, and being down to earth. They've actually found, too, that high levels of humility correlate with what they call uh, SRQ, your social relationship quality. So those people who test high for humility on these certain st- scales also say they're happier and more satisfied with their relationships. So they're alone. It's like, why wouldn't you want to be humble? I mean, if you can get better, better grades, better work performance, you're perceived as more generous, more kind, more humble, and you have better relationships. And this is simply what research has found, not even yet talking about the Bible, Let's, go to, let's keep on the why question here. It's interesting. In the ancient world, um, humility was not valued at all. As a matter of fact, Augustus, who was the emperor, he died uh, A.D. 14, so sometimes early in Jesus' life. But Augustus, one of the things they found in an antiquity was, is it was, if you were, it was expected that you boasted. He had this document he produced before his death that includes 35 things that he was saying, this is what I did. I did this. I did the whole thing was I, I, I. And it was just like, here's, here's my accomplishments in life. And in the ancient world, boasting was valued. Humility in the sense of the way the Bible defines it and even modern-day psychology defines it was seen as a weakness. It was a strength to boast about what you do and what you've done and your accomplishments. Okay, let's see, I'm saying on the why question, let's talk about this though, but other world religions also value humility. Uh, Buddhism considers humility as one of the core components of enlightenment, if you want to be like Buddha, the enlightened Buddha. Hinduism, Gandhi said that humility is the starting point of all virtues. In Islam, even the term Islam itself means submission to God which has this sense of humility before God. And the Quran talks about in ways in which Allah, as they describe him, wants people to learn humility. And, of course, Judaism could look to the Old Testament, where Moses, in Numbers chapter 12, we read, Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone on the face of the earth. Now what's interesting about that is who wrote Numbers, as far as we know? Who wrote Numbers? Who put it down in writing? Moses. Really, Moses? You wrote that about yourself? <laughs> Think about that. But yet, it was not a violation of humility to say that. Apparently, God must have inspired him to say that, the Holy Spirit. But it just, that's something I just realized this week. It's like, yeah, Moses wrote that about himself. How does he get away with that? Anyway. <laughs> so, so, there's been a shift over time. It used to be that boasting was the norm. But even we look at other world religions and they say humility is to be valued, whether it's Gandhi or the Quran or. So now the question is, okay, and and if humility benefits you with your grades, with work performance, and all kinds of your relationships and other world religions. But now the question I want to zero in on, which will get the how question as well as the why question, and that is, okay, but why Jesus? Why is the Jesus understanding and the Jesus-defined understanding of, hu- of humility uniquely different than how the rest of the world looks at humility, how other world religions look at humility, and how is the definition of humility according to the Bible, according to how Jesus embodied humility, how does that answer even for us the how question? Because sometimes we want to ask, well, how do I become more humble, right? Go to the next slide here. This actually... Um, was graffiti found in a guardhouse in Rome in the 2nd or 3rd century A.D. And that, uh, that what it says in Greek is Alex Amenos worships his God. It was basically during a time of persecutions and it was a, a Roman guard mocking Christ on the cross. You'll see the figure on the cross has a donkey head. Because it was seen as ludicrous that a God would be crucified. It was mocking this sense of biblical humility that is attributed to Jesus, and that became the mark of Christianity. Some historians even say that Christianity and Jesus started the turning point where humility became something of high value, while at the same time still being mocked and scorned as stupid. Why in the world would you take that attitude and elevate it as a great attitude when this is what it leads to? So you can see how, and let's and, and be honest, even today in our world, sometimes humility in the Jesus sense won't get you where you want to go on the ladder of success. So let's go back to the why question. And to do that, I'm going to go ahead and read from Philippians 2. Go to the Philippians passage now. And we're going to look at just real briefly as what. What's the, what's the humility that, we talk, that Jesus talks about or that's talked about with Jesus? So this is Philippians chapter 2. Paul, again, is in prison. He's writing this to his friends, people he knew in the city of Philippi. One thing we do know about the situation in Philippi is there were, Paul addressed it later in the letter, that there were some conflicts among people in the church. We don't know that chapter 2 directly addressed that, but it probably had some allusion to that. So again, think about humility having some kind of impact on relationships, which it does. So this is what Paul says to them. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me, and those first questions are all written in such a sense that of course Paul knew their answer would be yes, 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 we want, yes, we want these things. Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other. Loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. Go to the next one. Go ahead and advance to the next one, Tim. Sorry. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. And this next line is the challenge for the day. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. So stop for a second here. What Paul's doing right away is he's he's showing us that this attitude of humility, which is also carries with it not being selfish, thinking others, not trying to impress. All right, think about even what they found in modern day research that humble people are able to turn down the "I'm trying to impress others" knob, and it can hold off saying things or doing things to be impressive to other people. I mean, just recently I was talking to somebody who felt like they were in a situation and they realized they were trying too hard to impress others and in doing so they kind of felt flat on their face and we all can relate to that to some degree, this pressure to be impressive for whatever reason. He says you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Now go to the next slide. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead he emptied himself. He took a humble position of a slave. All right, there's the word humble again. And he was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself, there's the word again, in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Leave it here. I'm going to focus on um, the word cling. All right, say that word with me. Cling, cling, not cling, clang, but cling like you grip onto. Other versions use the word grasp. So Jesus was God. We believe that. But yet there was something... As part of his understanding of being God, that it wasn't equality with God wasn't something he was gonna hold on. He wasn't gonna claim the right to, since I'm God, I shouldn't have to do this. Since I'm God, before they start whipping me, I'm gonna call ten thousand angels to save save me because I have a right not to suffer because I'm God. So it seems as if an essential part of humility is this ability to not to cling and grasp to. What is rightfully yours to hold on to? A couple years ago, a number of years ago, and, and I've, some of you may have heard the story. I don't know if I've told it here recently. I told it in a smaller setting recently. I, uh, we did that in another house, and between our house and our neighbor's house, there was a huge, fat, dead tree. We didn't know exactly whose property line was on, but my neighbor one time said, we should get that cut down. And I was like, I'm not really interested in getting it cut down because I know it will cost me money. I don't want to let go of my money. I want to cling on to my money, all right? He kept asking, why, why don't we, you know, it's, it's right between our yards. Let's, let's cut a share it the cost and cut it down. And I said, no, I'm, not, I'm just not interested in doing that. A few months later, we had to get our yard surveyed for a fence because our kids were small in. Lo and behold, I got home that day from work. I was absolutely, absolutely elated because the survey line showed the tree was 100% in his property. right? He had to pay for it if he wanted to cut down. I felt no moral obligation to pay for one cent of cutting that tree down. And I kind of implied that when I saw him one day. I was like, did you see the survey line? I didn't say that directly, but I was kind of saying, notice the tree is in your lawn, not mine. So my rights, legally, is I had no legal obligation, moral obligation, to pay for him cutting that tree and removing the stump, which was going to be hundreds of dollars. So he has it removed, and it cut out. And one morning when I was praying, or I can't remember what the situation was, I had a clear sense from God that God wanted me to give the guy 200 bucks for the tree that he just cut down. I had to remind God of the survey lines. (laughs) I didn't know if he actually saw them. Because, God, it's my right not to pay for that tree because it wasn't in my lawn. You saw the line. Can I take you outside and show you? But you know what God was saying to me? Can you stop clinging on to that? Yeah, you have a right not to pay for your neighbor having that tree down. But the Spirit of God, I felt, was asking me, but I want you to anyway, because I want you to learn how to let go of something and not cling to something you think you have a right to have. And I wrote out a check for $200 and I gave it to my neighbor one day and he, I can still remember his look of incredulity, like, what is this for? And I might have mumbled something like, I think God wanted me to, I don't know. I can't remember what I said because I remember I just I just wanted to get out and give the guy the money and walk away. But I felt like that was a situation where I had a choice whether or not I was going to allow God to, and I'll say it this way, not in a humiliation way, allow God to humble me. Not humble me like I'm going to squash in the dirt, mat, but allow him to put me in the school of humility and say, here's a choice, Matt. You can choose to let go and not cling to what is your right, or you can do the freeing, abnormally joyful thing and give money away that you have a right to hold on to. Another story I heard recently, this was not me, but one of my mentors in terms of life and ministry is a professor named Dr. Dallas Willard. He taught at USC, and brilliant Brilliant, brilliant scholar, philosophy professor, also a Southern Baptist ordained pastor. So put philosophy professor with Southern Baptist pastor and you get this really interesting mix of a guy. One day in class, uh, this is, I read about this in an account, he finishes lecture and then a student, and you've all had, if you've been in university class, you've, there's always, you always know students like this. The student raised his hand and basically kind of mocked Dr. Willard's point of view at the end of class or kind of refuted it. And again, this was like an undergrad student mocking a 65-year-old university philosophy professor who was brighter than you could understand. And another student in the class was writing about this, and he said, I was so waiting for Dr. Willard just to put that young man in his place. And what Dr. Willard said after the comment of the student who was mocking his point of view, Dr. Willard said, well, that'd be a good place to end class today. Class is missed. So student, the other student went up to Dr. Willard and said, Dr. Willard, you could have nailed that guy to the wall with his comments because you, you're so smart you could have made him look foolish. And Dr. Willard said, I'm practicing the discipline of not having the last word. It's like I'm, I have a right to have the last word. It was my classroom. I could have nailed that kid to the wall. I could have embarrassed him in front of the class. But I'm practicing, because I believe God wants me to, the discipline of not having the last word. Now, those of you who are married or any kind of relationship, try that in your relationship sometime. Because you have a right to get your word in, right? I have a right to say what I want to say. I have a right to let my husband or my wife or my son, daughter, mom, dad, neighbor, boss know this. I have a right to say no to this or yes to this. Is there something... Here's the question I'll leave you with in the in rubric of being humble. Is there something that God may be asking you to let go of? Some right you can rightfully claim. I can hold on to this. I have a right to do this. I'm not violating any laws. I'm not even violating for understanding any moral principles. Is there something in a context right now in a relationship you're in, work, family, marriage, whatever, that you're saying, no, I have a right to do this. And maybe God the spirit of Jesus might be saying to you, can you let it go for the well-being of the other person? Can you let it go? And you, like me, and countless other men and women throughout the centuries before you will wrestle with God about that. God's not fair. I have a right to hold on to this. And God says, no, but I want you to let it go for the well-being of the other person. I want you to let it go for their well-being. Because, see, the whole why Jesus question, why Why the Christian understanding of humility as opposed to just simply saying, well, if you're a good Buddhist or a good Muslim or a good Hindu, you can also have humility. Christianity stands uniquely different because the Jesus, the model of humility, is not only the model of humility, he's the source of the power of our humility. Because you as a human being, me as a human being, broken and selfish in so many ways, but still made in God's image, we need supernatural help to change our hearts so we can learn to let go of those things that we have a right to hold on to. There is no other world religion that offers supernatural infusion from an outside source to give you the power to be so other-centered that you can let go of what's rightfully yours. That's the message of what Paul says in Philippians, that we need a supernatural. We want to be those kind of people who are abnormally... Loving, joyful, and courageous, but we want to be abnormally humble in that strong of a place where you can say no to claiming your rights for the sake of the well-being of the other and still feel totally safe and taken care of in God's universe because God knows what he's, God's, he's a good shepherd. But we so much are birthed in this, I got to hold on, I got to hold on, got to hold on. So again, the whole why Jesus Not only does Jesus... He's not only simply our role model for humility because he let go of his rights of divinity. He didn't stop being divine, but he let go of his rights to choose to be one of us. He's a role model for us, but he is not only a role model, he is the source of our own humility because he alone has the power to set us free. Because the passage continues this way, and we'll read the last part here. Actually, read it out loud with me because this is where Paul goes on. This is actually a hymn... It's thought to be an early hymn from the early church that Paul's quoting here when he talks about the humility of Jesus. So out loud with me, read this. Therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus is Lord, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. My ending question is, will you let Jesus Christ the Lord tell you what you're supposed to let go of and when he tells you to stop clinging will you do what he asks you to do because he is not only the Lord he has a right to tell you what to do because of what he's done for us on the cross because he wants you to be free but he also will empower you to be that kind of person so what is it that is your humility challenge right now this week maybe the next few weeks next month maybe right now you already know what that is And you may already start wrestling with God as whether you should let go of that or not. But you grow in humility by responding to whatever Jesus asks you to do that will take those steps toward humility. So that's my challenge to you this morning, is that we respond to Jesus in that way. So let me pray. Jesus, we, uh, I'm guessing there's not one person here that wouldn't like to be at least perceived as humble by others because it seems to be a virtue we all value but yet we also wrestle with wanting to be impressive we wrestle with wanting to figure out where we place ourselves on the hierarchy of human importance and we may not wrestle that externally but internally we all have those kind of struggles and trying to figure out where we fit so God would you deliver us from those silly games that's so easy to play as human beings. The games of comparison, the games of it's my turn, not your turn, and the games of it's my rights, I will do it because I can. So God, will you set our marriages free? Would you set our relationships with our children free? Would you set our relationships with our parents free? Would you set our relationships with our friends, our enemies, our employers, our employees? And would you Teach us to let go of rights for the well-being of others and in doing so have an increased capacity in our hearts for the humility that only comes from the Holy Spirit inside of us. We want to be those kind of people. We want to be abnormally humble, joyful, loving, and courageous. And we know, Jesus, that because of what you did on the cross, that's the only way that opens that up for us. That's the kind of people we want to be, and Jesus, we're grateful that you make us that way. And we ask this all in Christ's name, amen. We finish every Sunday uh, with communion, and again, it's it's a ritual. We do it every week, but it's not a ritual that has no meaning. It's a ritual that has incredible meaning because when Jesus said, "Do this in remembrance of me," he wasn't simply saying, "Remember how much I suffered on the cross and remember that it's all your fault." He's not saying that. We tend to think that's what we're supposed to feel—like guilt. What he's saying is, "Remember all the promises I made. Remember all the things I said." Remember the kind of person I said you could be if you choose to trust me. One of his promises was that if you want to become great among others, you need to humble yourselves like a child, because the great will be servants. So as you take even communion today, take this bread and this juice into you, because Jesus said this is this is for you. Maybe will come, maybe the Spirit of God will bring something to mind in which you're saying, I want to be that kind of a humble person like Jesus and Jesus give me the power so in this situation this relationship whatever I can let go and let the other person's interests dictate what I do. So maybe that's exactly when you take today what you're taking is you're remembering what how he said we can be those kind of people if we trust him. So let me pray and then we'll sing. <sighs> Jesus thank you that you opened this what the Bible calls a new and living way a new and living way where we can be the kind of people who are supernaturally loving, joyful, humble, and courageous. Not something we muster inside ourselves. It's not something we get through times of deep meditation or self-awareness, but we get it simply through opening ourselves up to your work in our lives. So as we take this, as we open up our mouths to take in this bread and juice into our bodies, Would that be a symbol of us opening up our hearts to take your spirit inside of us so you can set us free from the selfish, promotional mentality that we so often find ourselves giving ourselves into? Because we want to be people who are just like you, Jesus. That's who we want to be. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. So as we sing here in a second, you're welcome to come up for communion. We don't dismiss by rows. We don't check who's up or down. But uh, come on up, and then there'll be people at the aisles to offer you bread. Tear off a piece, that's how we do it here. They'll offer you the cup. Just dip it in the cup, that's how we do it, no real deep reason. Most people eat it right away. Some people take back their seats and eat it. It's up to you how you want to do that. 6 are bright Together, and we'll sing your beautiful. to become uh, like you and we're grateful that you have done what needs to happen in order for us to be that way because you've opened up that source of power to us and we're grateful and we ask this all in the name of jesus amen hey stay there for a second stand up if you're on the end of the aisle there's some little green buckets if you could grab those and pass them down the aisle and back typically mainly for either financial gifts or even the, the tear-off. you have a tear-off, you have something to communicate to us. Also, hey, Tim, could you put that one picture of the pastor up here that I had earlier that I didn't use yet? Can you find that? Yeah, okay. Uh, we, you know, we, we, gave it, we gave a bunch of money away to other pastors recently. This was not one of them because I hadn't met him yet. Somebody in the congregation encouraged me to met him. Andy Gashke and his wife, Jenny, pastor at Stone Ridge Baptist Church. Whenever I meet a new pastor... I always buy from the church a $50 gift card to a nice restaurant to the wife. I even tell the wife, you don't even have to take your husband. You can just go to the restaurant by yourself. <laughs> so I have a card, and on the way, I'll stand over there on the way out. If many of you, but even if you, because this is your money that's going to bless them. because That's what we believe. Part of our definite success is we will gauge our success by what we give away, not what we, and we want to encourage other pastors as well. So I'm going to stand out in the outside door here so I have like multicolored pens if people would just sign this card and then I'll send them uh, a gift card from the church just saying thanks for what you do for the kingdom of Jesus in Bloomington. All right, uh, have a great day. Help us out with the chairs if you can. Stack them up over there and have a great Sunday.